In this episode of the Brown Body Podcast, I'm joined again by John Snyder, PhD candidate in pharmacology, to discuss how he stayed fit and active throughout graduate school despite the demands of grad school and life in general and all the different things that he does. If you haven't yet, highly recommend you go back and listen to our Monday episode with John that talked about philosophical fitness, how things like stoicism and ancient wisdom, ancient philosophy play a role in our modern health and fitness and wellness. Today, like I said, we're discussing a lot about how to kind of adapt your training while at home, but we also made it a point to bring up some advanced training modalities, things that might not appeal to everyone, but can really upgrade your workouts if you don't have access to a gym. So some of the things we discussed were blood flow restriction training, uh, electrical stimulation, vibration platform. These are things that, you know, they're not for everyone, but for the right person at home, you can make a huge difference with these things. Uh, this kind of gets off into the biohacking exercise a little bit, so it kind of gives you a little bit more of a Ben Greenfield kind of field if you're familiar with him. This episode and all of our episodes are sponsored by CTM Band. You can click below for the link and use coupon code BRAWN10, B-R-A-W-N-1-0, to save 10% from their website. Quick word from one of our other sponsors before we get into the show. John, welcome back. Excited to have you again. It's good to be back, Dan. So, you know, over the course of 2020, even a little bit into 2021, we're in this little thing that we've been calling a pandemic lately. (laughs) And maintaining someone's health and fitness was really a struggle during that time. Gyms were closed. Maybe people didn't want to go to the grocery store because, you know, the virus was out there. Uh, People were moving away because job market changed, economy changed, really everything in the world just kind of got flipped upside down mm-hmm. in a matter of, you know, days, weeks, it didn't take long. Um, so for someone like you, who you're a PhD student, you're always doing something, you're always busy, whether it's physical fitness or stoics uh, and other <laughs> philosophy stuff, as we just talked about on the Monday episode, um, and again, you're under the constraints of a college student, mm-hmm. I felt like it was good to kind of discuss how you maintained your health and fitness during all that time, because you faced mm-hmm. a lot of, if not more of the same obstacles that other people faced during that time. And you ended up thriving through it. I like to think you even possibly came out of it better than when you went into it. Uh, so I kind of got to ask, you know, first, did, did you really have time to do anything between all the things that you were doing? In the beginning, when uh, the school closed and I couldn't do in-person research, fortunately, we were working on publishing a review article on um, the interaction between uh, cardiovascular health and um, uh, especially uh, nutrient signaling. Uh, so I worked on the review for the most part, and there actually was a decent bit of downtime uh, while we were like waiting to hear back from reviewers or I was waiting for uh, feedback on uh, a version of the paper that I had recently sent around to 
at first to sit down and think, what am I going to do without lifting? This is what I've been doing for the past 13 years. And, and as you know, I, I played soccer, I played football, I played baseball, I did a number of other sports, tennis, swimming, but lifting was the consistent one. And mm -hmm. it was, it was by far the thing that I felt like I was good at and like I could be good at forever. So when I couldn't have that anymore, oh, that, that was, that was a tough period. That, that was when the obstacle, as we talked about in the Monday episode was not mm -hmm. enjoyable. It was, it was tough. Um, so I started running. I started just being out in the yard a, a lot, kicking a soccer ball up and down, working on juggling skills. Mm -hmm. Decent workout, by the way, excellent for core strength. And you feel like maybe a little bit of an artist because I think we all want to feel like a little bit of an artist in whatever pursuit of fit fitness we have. It's pretty obvious when you're watching the Olympics and you see the gymnastics, that's obviously an art form. But I hope that everybody can find something of artistic expression in the part of fitness that they're engaged in. So it started with running. And then when work opened back up uh, into the summer, I took a bike in like we talked about. So now I have two fitness paradigms uh, back into my life that I feel like are pretty good. I always avoided um, cardiovascular training because, you know, I'm, I, I get in 10,000 steps a day. Uh, and to be frank, it takes so much more time to do cardiovascular fitness than it does to do weightlifting because uh, we were talking about training for the Ironman, there's going to be a point where I have to be able to sit on a bike for uh, five to seven hours and then get up and run for four to five hours. It takes so much more time to, to do an effective training uh, scheme for that. So um, what was the question? How, how did I get through fitness in the pandemic? Because yeah. <laughs> um, like, as I mentioned, we're, we're both early people in our career. Grad students, it's, it's a good program. They pay for your education. They pay you a, a livable stipend, but um, we're not wealthy. I couldn't afford to put a gym in my in my not basement that I don't have. <laughs> so uh, it started with running, the only thing that I could really uh, afford to do uh, that was open to me at the time. And, and like you said, grocery store shutdown. So you have a challenge to the, the, the nutrition that you can acquire. Fortunately, if, uh, if you do have the education that, that I've been, been blessed to have, you can go into your cabinet and you have a nice variety of fairly well thought out supplements, I think, to support <laughs> nutrition. Uh, you can go home for the weekend and hit the farmer's market. That was an option that we did a few times. Um, but yeah, I would say those were the main things, switching to fitness paradigms that didn't require people or equipment as much as possible. I also remember going to a children's park and doing just as many pull-ups and muscle-ups as I could on the equipment there. Yep. <laughs> and then, of course, spraying it down and wiping it off because <laughs> we didn't know whether uh, contact contamination was a means of disease spread at the time. Right. Fortunately, it's not. Yeah. And... With that too, I like how you mentioned too, there's a lot of different ways to stay in shape. It's not just a one size fits all. Just yeah. because you don't have access to a barbell on a squat rack doesn't mean you're going to be out of shape. It means that it's time to kind of work on different things mm -hmm. for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, and in your case, you found different things in different types of training, whether it was martial arts or more cardiovascular focused or, you know, alternative forms of strength training. So you went with the calisthenics approach. Uh, I have made the argument multiple times, and I will continue to make the argument that gymnasts are some of the fittest, if not the most fittest athletes on the planet, 
and they are pound for pound the strongest because you see what they're able to do with their body and make it look effortless and do it for minutes and minutes on end. Uh, you know, very few other athletes are able to do that. So for you to go to, in your case, a park and just kind of master, you know, something like a muscle up, you know, it's tough. And um, I like to tell people I have these different challenge workouts. I give people different times. Maybe I just want to kick their butt or maybe I think, you know, I need to just kind of mentally take them down a little bit and make them realize, hey, we actually need to work on this. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite things to do is pick a simple move, like um, take walking lunges, for example, and come up with a workout around one or two simple moves. So um, one of my favorites, uh, it's adapted from one of the Bobby Maximus uh, no equipment workouts that he published in his book uh, called 1776. And you do 17 push-ups, body weight, and then you do 76 walking lunges, just 76. And then after that, you, you time yourself. And then you do it again and again and again, and you just keep timing yourself. So you can do it repetitively in the same day. You can do it once a day for a week and see how you improve or whatever. But it sounds simple. But after about 40 walking lunges, your legs start to get shaky. You start to get tired. You start to get fatigued. And all of a sudden, that 76 number feels like a lot more than when you initially started. So it's incredible how... You know, fitness is not just go to the gym, lift the weights and then head out. It's mm -hmm. a lot of these little things. It comes in different flavors, like we said. And you can take simple things like just walking lunges and push-ups and make them extremely challenging to the point where you don't need a fancy setup to get results. Absolutely. And I, I, I think that's the one part of the story that I missed. One of my first responses to uh, not being able to lift weights was getting really creative with calisthenics. And I had been there before. Um, I broke my nose in high school and uh, just like couldn't, it was during wrestling season. I couldn't wrestle. So uh, me and another one of the injured players uh, on the team, one of the injured wrestlers, just did calisthenics nonstop push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups in rotation, hundreds of them per day. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever felt fitter yep. uh, than, than after that. That, uh, that makes me think of another concept. I like to call it greasing the groove. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get better at a barbell lift, such as a bench press or a squat or something else, the best way to do it is to find a uh, calisthenics move that mirrors as closely as you can that exercise mm -hmm. and do it in high volume. So if it's bench press, obviously push up. If it's squat, obviously body weight squats. If it's deadlift, maybe it's a combo of pull-ups and walking lunges or something similar. Find something that mirrors that move and do about 10 of them throughout your day, every hour, 10 to 20. And you will be amazed at the results you see just by breaking up, you know, 150, 200 reps throughout your day, constantly keeping those muscles on, muscles activated, constantly what I like to call just turning the lights on motor unit recruitment, move, mm -hmm. uh, movement pattern training. So a little bit of neuromuscular reeducation. It's amazing how, again, simple things really carry over to big results. 
Yeah, I, I expect that you and I both get very excited about the neuromuscular connection and the different ways that you can look at, at that. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I, I so wish that I could incorporate into my PhD studies is the remodeling that occurs um, as you, so you know, you know what the strength deficit is? Uh, it's, the, it's the difference between uh, how much strength the muscle group can develop under voluntary contraction and how much it can develop under involuntary contraction. And in a really well-trained athlete, the deficit will be very small. Right. In someone who hasn't trained that particular movement, it'll be quite large. And uh, it would be so cool to look at all the different molecular markers that change within a region <laughs> as, the, uh, as the strength deficit is shrinking. And it's very closely related to the things that you were just talking about, I expect. We're giving you all kinds of new research ideas here. Huh? Uh, one day, I hope so. <laughs> so uh, we touched so, a little bit. Uh, go ahead. So between, uh, so the, the topic for today is, is maintaining fitness amongst grad school and COVID, which are certainly two challenges for fitness. Yeah. Uh, the grad school element of that, uh, in addition to, you know, training for a very long time, you really get intimately familiar with the different training parameters that can be altered. Uh, things like how much weight are you using? How many reps are you doing it for? How, how much time are you spending under tension? These sorts of things. Um, and, and people who've trained for a long time know these things, whether it's from an intellectual perspective or they're just things that they are, are regularly incorporating into their daily routine. Explosivity is another important one. The, the rate at which you're moving through space with the weight. Um, so COVID knocked out some of the capabilities there. So it, it knocked out explosivity because I can't do certain movements in my apartment without getting thrown out. It knocked out, uh, it can't, it knocked out uh, explosivity because I can't make as much noise when I do these <laughs> movements. Uh, not that you should be making a ton of noise. Um, it knocked out the, there was a cap on weight. I only had 50 pounds to work with. There's only so much space that I can move in. Um, so you have to get really creative in manipulating the other variables. The same is true with what we were talking about with calisthenics. Right. And those variables are limitless, kind of like you just touched on, is you can change the time under tension like you talked about. And obviously moving slower leads to greater motor unit recruitment and muscle activation. That's one of the kind of tests I build in for people is, you know, if you think you're really good at something or you've mastered a weight, try moving it slow as in like, you know, three to five second eccentric, three to five second pause, or I'll just use the powerlifting standard. So take bench press, for example, not only do you have to lower it under control, which, you know, that tempo will be different for everyone, but you have to pause briefly at the bottom, press all the way up and then pause again before re-racking it. It's not just to take it down and bounce it off your chest. Like a lot of people kind of gravitate towards um so it's interesting how just one of those variables in that case can have such an effect and another variable i love to play with is blood flow and blood circulation so a lot of people have realized i'm big on blood flow restriction and blood flow blood flow training uh and this is something that i think has huge potential in all populations not just in strength and conditioning but in rehab as well is we can literally put a blood flow restriction cuff on someone and just passively, not lifting any weight or anything, elicit similar growth to if they were actually exercising, actually lifting weights. And to think about that, it just seems next to impossible, but uh, it can be done. So 
again, the sky's the limit with different variations and different things that you can do in order to continue making uh, gains, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, without anything fancy or anything uh, mm -hmm. special, so to speak. I can't agree more on the importance. Dan's been into blood flow restriction training for a long time. And when I first saw him doing it in the LBC gym, I thought he might be uh, a little bit on the edge of what's uh, scientifically founded. But I have since seen so many studies, uh, whether it's passive or active, that blood flow restriction uh, improves vascularization of the tissue. It can improve hypertrophy. It induces hypoxia inducible factor one, which is an important factor in vascularization. And it actually, uh, I was surprised to find this, is, isn't approved therapy for people who are at risk for myocardial infarction because there is a diminished damage to the cardiovascular tissue uh, in people who are previously exposed to um, um, blood flow restriction right in, in in the periphery not not to the heart of course that's the uh, much more pharmaco pharmacologically mm -hmm. technical term than uh, yeah, what yeah. I was saying that's for <laughs> sure and that's where your knowledge and expertise always comes in handy um, but yeah mm -hmm. I started doing it with the wrist wraps that I had at the time, because like any young lifter, I thought I needed wrist wraps apparently. And I was just taking them across the top of my shoulder and tightening them down and using that. And that seemed to work well. And then I was like, oh, there's actually like cuffs. So you can actually monitor specific occlusive pressures and really get into it. Um, and this is one of the things too, I was really excited to use in physical therapy in a rehab setting, just to watch its response and to watch uh, one of the patients I had in Arizona was a competitive power lifter, like very competitive power lifter. Uh, she struggled to lift a eight pound dumbbell 30 times with that thing at 70, 80% occlusive pressure. Uh, and you know, this is someone who bench presses like 400 pounds, which mm -hmm. anyone who bench presses 400 pounds is impressive. But when you're a female doing it, it's, you know, all the more impressive uh, because of the differences in gender and strength. Uh, so, you know, it's crazy how effective this one tool can be. Uh, obviously, if you're going to use it at home, don't just, you know, drop $500 on the smart tool set and have at it. You know, you want to make sure you don't have any of the contraindications, which there are very few. But, you know, you don't want something that's supposed to be good to turn into something that's not so good for you, mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, so and that's something, too, that can have great tie over and carry over into cardiovascular function. There's a lot of tie ins to uh, trained athletes and what blood flow restriction training does for their uh, cardiovascular function. There was a study. Uh, it was done a couple of years ago. I forget the exact title of it, but if you Google something like this, it'll certainly come up. Uh, they looked at trained basketball players, collegiate basketball players, and the cardiovascular uh, endurance effects. They looked at VO2 of BFR training on, I think it was a bike protocol, and their VO2 maxes went up like 13, 15% in trained athletes, which for any kind of, you know, super in shape person to see that kind of improvement so quickly is because this was like a four or six week study you know that's almost unheard of most of the time so this is really news and noteworthy kind of stuff here so yeah that's definitely one of the benefits of uh you know the grad school programming is you can really look at a study like that so, so if you're going back to the recreational side of of 
Uh, like, so when I'm reading a paper for grad school, it's probably going to be about insulin secretion. But I, <laughs> I do also read papers about what, for instance, blood flow restriction could do for my biking habit. So, but the benefit there is I would notice that difference in the population and it is really tough to find a meaningful difference in a trained athlete population as compared to an untrained athlete population. And um, you can generally assume that the differences in trained athletes are gonna be the same, but smaller, but there are exceptions to that as well. For sure. Um, so kind of with that too, um, you know, we're talking about maintaining health and fitness during the pandemic. And as we speak, there's talk of a new variant uh, on the loose. And there's some rumors that, uh, you know, things are going to lock down again, things are going to get worse again, that sort of thing. Hopefully none of that happens. But what are some ways that physical fitness could help deter uh, adverse outcome from uh, viral infection, or mm -hmm. kind of help promote health and wellness and well being in uh, a population that might otherwise be at adverse risk. Yeah, so I'm certainly not a virologist, and there's there's an abundance of information out there. But something that I've I've been thinking about personally is uh, is the the most detrimental outcomes are COVID. Essentially, come down to are you able to breathe, and are you able to then have that oxygen perfused into your blood? So diffused into your blood, pardon mm -hmm. me. So if you have a cardiovascular, let's say high intensity cycling, running, swimming, you have such, such a reserve to lose before you start to feel the effects of, let's say a deficit in um, your capacity to breathe due to inflammation in the lungs. So that's definitely one part um, you're, you're maintaining a reserve of respiratory capacity in case you do get sick. But on the other hand, you're also affecting the likelihood of getting sick. Mm -hmm. And that that's for social reasons, like maybe instead of going to a party, you're the kind of person that likes to spend your free time uh, going for a run with or without people. That's a meaningful difference in your likelihood to get sick. And then that's without even getting into the immunology of how, um, exercise produces a more competent immune system. I'm not an expert in that field, but I do take that to be the case. For sure. And one of the things that I like to look at too, while correlational data has its place, it's not the end all be all, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of studies already. Uh, this is coming from the work of Dr. James DeNicola Antonio. Um, highly recommend looking into him if you haven't yet. Um, so people who are obese have a 50% greater risk of dying from COVID-19 and a twice as high risk of being hospitalized compared to people who are normal weight and people with metabolic syndrome, which is a much higher number than you would think, have a 4.5 times more likely risk of ending up in the ICU, 4.7 times risk for uh, requiring ventilation and 3.4 times the risk of dying. 
uh, from COVID-19. So while that's all scary stuff, and I know there's a lot of people who have those conditions, and maybe some of them are even listening, and that's not to, you know, deter you or shame you or anything in any way. It's just the reality of the situation is if you are not in good health, your body is not in as good of a state to fight off an infection. So although, you know, doing something like physical fitness during the pandemic might not be the first thing on your mind, it could be something that helps to keep you alive. Uh, And maybe it's not from the virus itself, but for other things, you know, just something to do, keep you occupied, good for your mind and your mental health. We talked about that all last week. Uh, And I bring this up because uh, early on over the summer and in the fall of last year, I was really heavy on promoting physical health and physical well-being during this time because of stuff exactly like that. And like I like John said, I'm not like, you know, the world's leading expert in this by any means. I'll admit I have my limits like we all do, uh, but it just makes sense the healthier you are, the better off you'll be if something goes wrong. And the amount of pushback I had from people who were in either current or future uh, healthcare roles, so, you know, healthcare students saying that, well, you know, people shouldn't be working out right now because, of you know, it's dangerous out there or something like that. And it's like, you know, I could go to Walmart or Target and stand in line next to 100 people, no problem. But you're saying me going out for a walk is dangerous? Um, so there's a lot of things that are perfectly safe to do that you could do in the comfort of your own home while watching exactly Um, so I bring that up because while we are talking about this in the context of the pandemic and how you stayed fit during it a lot of people just forget to realize how important it is Mm -hmm. and you know if this is something that you really want to um, kind of you know, put the odds in your favor as much as you can, staying active and staying fit is a great way to do it. So I felt like that needed its place. And kind of with that, with that too, um, you mentioned that you really got into running and cycling and other cardiovascular things, which for the most part, that's outdoors in the fresh open air. It's pretty low cost. I mean, running, you need a good pair of shoes, biking, you need a bike, but Outside of that, you know, you don't need any thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment. You don't need, you know, a monthly membership or anything like that. Uh, You just need a couple things and you're good to go. Um, And you mentioned before that led into you kind of transitioning into the point where you're going to do an Ironman now. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me how something that you don't really expect to kind of take off like that. I'm guessing you probably just kind of started it like, well, I need something to do. I want to stay moving. (laughs) I'll start with this. I'm sure you probably didn't expect to be doing an Ironman a year and a half later. Yeah. And it definitely comes back to trying to fit in fitness with being a a grad student because my my commute to work had been previously by train to about a 25 minute train ride, but it takes 10 minutes to walk to the train station and 10 minutes to walk to work on either end. So it's 45 minutes of time. And you know how precious time is in grad school. So uh, it also takes me 40, it takes me about 45 minutes to bike there as well. So now I'm hitting uh, fitness in the period of time that was previously costing me money and mm-hmm. uh you know maybe i could read a paper or something on the train but i wasn't getting work done during that period wasn't really getting much of anything done 
is usually usually wasting my time listening to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no any good podcasts? I, I listened to a few good podcasts. They were <laughs> they were educational and valuable. Helped me come up with some different ideas for fitness. Definitely not mine. <laughs> I, I just really wish that there was uh, some mechanism of podcasts where I could find the motivation to pursue fitness. Because <laughs> that is the problem. It's motivation. And, I, and I'm so happy that you do a motivational Monday. Because the difference isn't whether people know this would help or not. It's it's whether they're motivated to to to, to do the work, as as we say. <laughs> yep, we talked all about that on Monday, and uh, there is certainly something to be said about doing the work. And yeah. you know, I like kind of that point actually, because all this boils down to will you do the work or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everyone knows that exercise is good, and I think everyone knows that they can find things to exercise with, whether it's, you know, at home, body weight, outside walking or running, or, you know, YouTube, or, you know, uh, so many other things out there, I'm not going to list them all. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, they don't necessarily want to, because, um, and maybe you're more well versed in the neurochemical and neurophysiological science than I am. But essentially, there's these neurotransmitters, one of the most famous being dopamine, and dopamine tends to betray us. Uh, So we get a nice hit of dopamine every time we log into Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, especially. And, you know, we see a new like or a new comment or a new follow. We get a little instant gratification or we text someone that we really want to hear back from. And, you know, we're getting everything instantaneously and all these things, they feel good. We live in a world of instant gratification and they feel good because of the neurochemical response we get from it. And because of that, we don't really take as kindly to the things that give us delayed gratification anymore. We don't take as kindly to the things that cause us to suffer in the short term, like we talked about before, but help us in the long term. And I think it's just very difficult to get people to realize they need to do this, they'll benefit from it, but they won't see that benefit for six to eight weeks. It's kind of like if Amazon Prime said, you know, we'll deliver your order for free, but it'll be there in two months. You know, most people would not order off Amazon Prime if it took two months to get their order. So that's kind of my take on that and maybe you have something different or maybe you have something a little more advanced and technical than I do because that's really the 30,000 foot overview from things that's for sure. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head and some things do require a 30,000 foot overview and uh, speaking of that if we go back to, to your point about the epidemiological studies about the association yep. I, I, I want to make a, a point that I had thought of and I couldn't tie it into the last bit. <laughs> You're um, good. So th- this became a political thing and we should acknowledge that. And um, especially the, the obesity situation. And, and, and like Dan and I said, we're just trying to offer good health advice. Um, there's, there's no judgment here. Uh, I think something that dismotivated people from uh, seeing fitness exercise as a way to get through this pandemic and good health is the idea that perhaps they've tried exercising before to deal with a weight issue w- without perceived success. 
And I think that a key difference uh, that's very pertinent to your note that this is an epidemiological study, a survey of the characteristics of people and the outcomes that they had is that that, that, that does not have the mechanistic depth to say, well, it wasn't just, it wasn't obese people that had worse outcomes. It was people who were metabolically unhealthy. And I, I expect that there might've been a difference there, mm-hmm. especially as it's important to note that not all obese people uh, are metabolically unhealthy and exercise, even if it doesn't help you lose weight, will help you become metabolically more healthy. That might realize itself in increased respiratory capacity, like we talked about, that might realize itself with increased insulin sensitivity or more healthy feeding timing throughout the day. So, and med- focusing on metabolic health is for a good reason less politicized than only thinking about this in terms of weight, because weight is too stigmatized and, and what we're all after is health. I would have to agree with that. Um, it is unfortunate it became so political. And I do like what you said about the focus on me- metabolic health. Uh, BMI never tells the full story. Uh, for example, I've been considered overweight before. And most people look at me and they're like, wait a second, you got like 7% body fat. How does that work? Um, so it, it's not just height and weight, it's mm-hmm. everything. Um, and with that too, visceral fat reading is huge, yes. not just, you know, body fat, but how much of that fat is deposited around your organs. Because I've seen people before that, you know, I'm not going to use the term fat, but I'll say that they were a little bit heavier set than average. Uh, but their visceral fat readings were extremely low. So it's like, you know, in their case, that could just be their body composition and how they're designed. And they're perfectly healthy at that. Uh, on the topic of metabolic health, because this is something we've talked about extensively over the past several weeks and months. Um, I had Dr. Stefan Hussey on at the start of the summer, because he is one of the leading experts in this field, in my opinion. Uh, His book, Understanding the Heart, really dives deep into balancing uh, metabolism, energy dysfunction, mitochondria, mitochondrial health and biogenesis, all these things that we don't often think about. And like you said, this is so much less politicized that if we just focus here, everything else should fall into order. Because if you're eating healthy and taking care of your body internally, if you're moving regularly, if you're getting sunlight, if you're getting outside, that should be most of what you need to live a healthy, fit, and active lifestyle. Um, Where I've seen a huge interest lately and where we've tried to focus the past few weeks on uh, was how this is going to play into the future of health and fitness, because we're seeing these trends younger and younger where, you know, kids are now presenting as obese with multiple cardiovascular risk factors. And I mean, when I was growing up, like, you know, sure, there's always like one or two kids that are bigger, so to speak. But now you look at like a classroom and, you know, it's not just one or two anymore. It's half the class and it's concerning. And, you know, again, this is not to kind of at anyone or, you know, put anyone down. It's just a statement of fact that we need to do better about focusing on the health of the individual. And we talked about all of this on Monday. And if we increase your individual health, then 
correlational studies show that you'll be more productive, you'll be, you know, less likely to get infection, you'll be happier, all these different things. Uh, and again, that's correlational research. So always kind of keep stuff like that, take it with a grain of salt. But there's some evidence to show that exercise is good and exercise benefits pretty much everything. It's really hard. Um, I make those statements all the time. And I just worry that, well, if you're addicted to exercise, you would say that. <laughs> but I, I, I entirely do agree. Um, no, and this is and a, perhaps another time we can talk about healthy user bias, unhealthy user bias. For sure. As These it relates to research. That, as it relates to research, as it relates to the way the, uh, the pandemic outcomes have been interpreted. For sure. That would, that would definitely have my interest. Um, When the pandemic hit, I've never had more social capital based on the idea that I can interpret a study half decently. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I'm sure that you, like uh, myself and many others, uh, when things really hit the fan, you probably went right to the journal articles or even with um, a topic I don't really want to talk about on a live air podcast, but when it comes to the shots and vaccines and stuff, um, I spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. in the journal articles, in the research, at least as close as I could get, because a lot of the raw data was not published, um, and just kind of analyzing and synthesizing, you know, what am I currently looking at? What does this do? What are the effects it has? Uh, And I think that's part of making an educated and informed decision. Uh, And that goes to everything, not just, you know, this or that. It's can you understand where the information comes from and then can you interpret it as to how it's meaningful for you? Because you see stuff on the news all the time. Uh, We all know that the news is not truthful 100% of the time, and it doesn't matter what you're talking about, Fox or CNN or ABC, CBS, whatever. uh, There's always some kind of bias or some kind of skewing. But a lot of times they'll say, you know, a new study showed and then go off on a tangent. But nine times out of 10, the study's not peer reviewed. And the study was done in a very small subset of a population. Maybe it was done in healthy people. Maybe it was done in people with a chronic disease. And then they take those findings and try to apply it to the blanket population. And that's not how this works. Um, So (laughs) to be able to kind of develop these skills, and I know this, you know, might not sound like physical fitness, but in order to be physically fit, you have to understand what goes into all these things. Why Mm -hmm. is it important? what should you do and why should you do it? Um, And, you know, you don't have to have that knowledge to work out, but I think it's that next level understanding that really gets people, Mm -hmm. as you said, addicted to it or really into it, so to speak. Yeah. And part of that addiction quality really played an important role in the the transition from weightlifting into triathlon type training, because, you learn so many things. You learn how to manipulate training variables. You already have a baseline cardiovascular endurance. Uh, in my case, I had I could I could pretty much push the pedals down as much as my body weight could 
manage above them because I had been squatting for so long and it's a very similar movement. Maybe a pistol squat is, is the more similar movement there. But what you what I got addicted to personally was that period of steep improvement that you get whenever you start some new uh, fitness paradigm. For sure. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, uh, that's the mountain, right? Yeah. Every day you climb the mountain mm-hmm. and you get a little higher than the previous day. <laughs> and the higher you get along the mountain, the harder it gets. You know, when you first start something, you get, I think we call it newbie gains or something like that. You have yeah. a rapid adaptation, it takes like eight to 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. After that, you start to hit that quote unquote plateau, right? Things start to get a little bit harder. And that's where attention to detail and consistency in a regiment mm-hmm. pay, uh, play all that more importance in your uh, continued progress. Mm-hmm. And in your case, that's not a problem because you're disciplined. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm so disciplined that I decided after I hit a plateau in college that I'd go get a PhD in physiology to figure out how to get past it. (laughs) It's not even a career choice. I was just trying to bench press more. (laughs) Oh man. Anything to hit 315, right? (laughs) Uh, I don't mean to brag, but that was a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) Humble brag, right? Humble brag. Right. And now I got to now I got to ask the Department of uh, Physical Therapy at LVC to strap electrodes on me if I want to learn anything more about whether I need to grow more muscle or try to decrease my strength deficit. <laughs> Always happy to take a look and provide whatever we yeah. can for you there. Um, I'm trying to think of any kind of latest new trends or anything I've been seeing in muscular adaptation. Um, a lot of the stuff I've kind of seeing is coming full circle now um so originally things started with i'll say they started with e-stim from the russians Mm -hmm. in uh their early olympic days and now we have that here in america and that was something that over the past five ten years kind of faded away and now in a lot of places i'm seeing it make a comeback because you can use electricity to forcefully contract a muscle more than someone can willingly do so So if you have someone uh, like in my case, I had a patient uh, who had caught a equina surgery and uh, they ended up having drop foot, meaning that their tibialis uh, anterior muscle that dorsiflexes their foot or moves it up uh, wasn't working. So, you know, when they walk, their foot just slapped right down because they had no ability to control that foot lowering portion. Uh, so to take electrical stimulation, put it on that muscle and turn the lights back on. Sure, it doesn't feel good, but in a case of someone with something like a nerve pathology, where you're just waiting for that nerve to heal, you don't want that nerve to heal and it get there and then have a you know muscle that's got almost nothing left in the tank. You want it to connect to something that will actually you know have some kind of impact and have some kind of result. Uh, but with that too, there's certainly some carryover to strength and conditioning and just general fitness. If you have one of these Russian E-STEM units, um, I was able to slap uh, the pads on my quads at one point and I cranked it up until I stood up from a, a seat and uh, I have never felt such a forceful contraction in my life. I mean, it's downright painful it is, uh, and yeah. that's just with, you know, pads and electricity it's not like you know any kind of weight or resistance or anything like that 
So it's uh, it's incredible how many different tools are out there. And we talked about BFR and we talked about different things like that. Um, you know, ultimately just find the one that works for you. It, Absolutely. Everything. But whatever you do, don't Google Russian e-stim unit on Facebook Marketplace. I'm worried about what you'll find. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, for sure. Or um, for a while there, uh, the biohackers handbook and some of the different biohackers are good on big on uh, vibration platforms. So when mm -hmm. you're exercising, doing squats or push-ups, your hands or your feet are mm -hmm. vibrating. Um, that one on Facebook Marketplace, anything along the lines of vibration um, could lead to some interesting results as well. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely be careful. Um, and I would not recommend buying an electrical stimulation unit for home because they're thousands and thousands of dollars. And frankly, you can get just as good results with other stuff, but they're cool tools and cool things that I, I tell people, you got to try it at least once just to see what it feels like. Don't buy it though, because when you feel how painful it is, it, you it, quickly realize you wouldn't want to do this as a training. I told, same thing with BFR. The people who benefit the most are usually the ones that can't tolerate it because yeah. it is intense. Yeah. Um, and I've had people tell me different times before, like, I look at the videos of me doing some of the stuff and they're like, you know, your arms look like they're pale. Like it looks like you're losing coloration in your skin. And I'm like, you know, you really have to crank it down because you need high occlusive pressure. Like you are literally occluding blood flow. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, say, same with your Ironman training though, right? You know, it, it takes a special kind of person to be able to swim what is it? 2.1 miles, bike over a hundred and then run a full marathon. 2.4 miles swimming. I think it's 132 biking and then a marathon running. And, and I'm, I might be just off there because I think we're doing the uh, peasant man, which is a non Ironman sponsored Ironman style race. Gotcha. And the finger lakes. So it'll be nice and cold in the water as well. And yeah, I, I, it might be a little bit unfortunate that we get on these tangents of uh, interventions that are really only for people who are either crazy about fitness for like, they want to learn about their own bodies or for people who can make a career off of achieving a certain level of fitness. Whereas if, if we go back to the, uh, what should somebody in grad school be doing or what should somebody be doing so that they can make it through the pandemic with, you know, sanity and health, uh, it's, they're two very different questions because to make it through grad school, uh, you, you want to work out to such an extent that you can sleep well at night. It's a stressful experience uh, and, and getting a good night's sleep will be well aided by having good exercise principles and, and the same for getting through COVID. You just want to be exercising to have uh, maybe 75% of what is humanly achievable through exercise in terms of uh, what you're doing to your cardiovascular system. For sure. but, but if you are curious, do shock yourself to see how hard <laughs> your muscle can contract. <laughs> always always you know like you said start with the basic stuff are you sleeping yeah. enough are you eating right are you moving are you yeah. doing some kind of exercise and mm -hmm. then when you start to get into that what we call addiction phase um, <laughs> which I will admit I might be may or may not be in then you can start playing around with all the cool toys and get a little lost in the weeds sometimes as I like to do <laughs>
definitely lost in the weeds, but hopefully lost in the weeds as a sort of an act, a scholar athlete, because, you know, we're making notes of the differences of what we were doing before and after these interventions. Uh, we're certainly keeping memories of, of how it felt and what it, what seems like it has changed because there is a lot of garbage out there and you want to avoid it, especially in the supplement brain, uh, uh, supplement domain, which we'll talk about another time. Yes, we will. That is on our list. Um, so kind of with that too, I'm glad you kind of reined me in and brought me back there. Uh, <laughs> last thing we'll mention, I'll mention, and then I'll turn it over to John for any closing thoughts um, on the thought of, uh, you know, for college, for people at home, for people who don't want to go to the gym, don't feel safe, whatever. Um, if you want to kind of sum up everything into a couple lines, eat real food, get seven to nine hours of sleep every night get outside, move every hour. And when it comes to exercise, if you're going to do one thing for cardiovascular health, for physical strength, then do sprint intervals. Just do some kind of speed up, slow down every day. If you need something simple, easy, and just want the bare minimum, go outside and speed up, slow down, sprint up a hill, walk down, whatever. Just keep it simple. That's my advice to you. <laughs> Any other thoughts, John? Uh, could we share my email as a resource for people who, who want to talk more about this? Oh, because yeah. We, we covered just a couple of uh, political topics here in, in a way that I think was moderate and informational and will hopefully lead to people having better health. But I'd like to be able to follow up if anybody does have questions with, uh, with uh, you know, citations and references. For sure. Um, so... Your email, let me double check. It was, you want the Drexel one or you want the Gmail? Give him my Gmail. All right. <laughs> well, I just got this from you like literally two minutes ago. Uh, well, maybe a little more than that, but it was, was it Jay Snyder 61? Uh, Snyder John 61 at gmail.com. Right. And with that too, uh, you all know that you can find me at brawnbodytraining at gmail.com. Um, so I'm happy to share citations or um, a lot of the stuff, especially the stuff from uh, James DeNicola Antonio comes from his book. Um, so he has a book. Uh, what was it? The I want to say it was the immunity fix or something like that, uh, that he published last year. Highly recommend reading that book. Um, a lot of citations, a lot of good information in there. Um, so sometimes I will cite things from studies, but the studies were mentioned in a book and, you know, find the book, you'll find the original studies in the end. So, but no, that's a great thought there. Uh, so with that, John, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for trying to keep me on focus. because <laughs> Sometimes I'm kind of like a bull in a China shop. <laughs> and uh, thank you, as always, for your insight and knowledge, because, uh, you know, you certainly have a way of synthesizing information. And that uh, that is something that I think we could all be better about, myself included. <laughs> so I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much, Dan. It was a pleasure to be here. I look forward to our supplement conversation in the future. For sure. 
All right. And for those listening, thank you as always. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow on social media. And please don't hesitate to reach out to either John or myself with any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints that you might have. <laughs> have a good one.